Let's pray. Oh, great God in, in highest heaven, in the beginning you created the heaven and the earth. We praise you this morning because your power is shown in the creation. And in the end, you will create the new heaven and the new earth. Your power is seen as you conquer the death brought by Satan and establish your creation as a place of peace. We long for that day when your majesty will be completely revealed and all bow down before you, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Until that day, we remain in a struggle. We confess that we are rebels and that we are deserving of death. We confess that we are in, in great need of your mercy. In fact, that is our only hope. You have mercifully, mercifully turned us from being your enemies to being your children. This is a result of you not giving us what we deserve. It is the sweet mercy of the one true God. So God, this morning our hearts are thankful. Thank you for undeserved love that you showed to us. Thank you for sending your spirits. Thank you for not leaving us. Thank you for not forsaking us. Thank you that you hear us when we cry out to you. God, we thank you this morning for the support group, the local church that you have provided to encourage us in our own walk with you. This morning we pray for the people of Harvest Bible Church and for your blessing upon them. We pray for Brandon and Andrea and Lindsay and Olivia and Logan Zell. Lord, we pray that they would make it their habit to go to you regularly. That they would be individuals, they, they would be Christ followers who run to you. God, we pray for your blessing on Todd and Joyce Reynolds. They would trust you to do all things well, that their hope would not be in themselves, but that their hope would be in you. We pray for Michelle and Jen and Jillian and Johanna Mills. We pray that they would be reminded of your goodness that goes to your children from all generations, that they would trust you to follow them with your goodness and mercy all the days of their lives. God, we thank you that you are doing a work in and through Harvest and through these members. We pray for your continued work of gospel advancements in our community and abroad. So we pray for the country of South Korea. Lord, we pray for these 49 million individuals. We pray that while there is confusion on the religious scene, where there is confusion on what theology is, what sound theology is, we pray that you would send more gospel proclaimers more men and women who understand your word and they would be able to teach it and share the good news of Jesus. God, we thank you for our gospel partners who take the gospel around the world. We thank you for what you are doing through Tom and Betsy Lutman at Bible Visuals International. God, we, we pray, we ask of you to do good and great things through this ministry. God, we thank you for what we have heard in recent days of what you are doing, what you have done, over 60 years of that ministry's existence. We know that you can do even greater things in the future. So we pray to that end. God, we pray that you would strengthen Tom and Betsy for the task that you have called them to. They would be encouraged in the work. We pray that you would help them as they bring up their children 
We pray that they would do so in accordance with your word. God, we thank you that the gospel is going forward in Lancaster County, so we, th- we pray for other churches for their health. We pray for Lancaster Baptist Church, that you would give the leadership team there your wisdom, that you would give that congregation unity, that they would be faithful to share the good news of Jesus with their community. We thank you for our own neighbors here in the, in the village of Eden. So we pray for our neighbors on John Adams Drive. Lord, we pray that we would uh, have, have a relationship with them, that we would know them more than just driving by their house or they're driving past our house of worship, but that we would get to know them and that you would bring them into our assembly and that we would be able to communicate with them and share with them what Jesus has done for us. God, now we thank you that we can come to your holy word We thank you that you have preserved it for us to this time. We thank you that you have given us so many copies and translations, good translations of your word. God, we thank you that we can understand it through your Spirit's work in us. So we have anticipated this time all week long. So God, for the the good of your people and in spite of the frailty of your messenger. We pray that you would give us your message on this Lord's day. Teach us. Encourage us. Convict us. Grace us on this Lord's day. So we pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts this morning would indeed be acceptable in your sight. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. This morning I need to take just a few minutes to set up our time in the Word. I need to let you know the direction that we are headed over the next few weeks. Christians come together on the Lord's Day specifically to study God's Word. That's what we do on Sundays. That's what we do as a congregation of Harvest Bible Church. We're here to study the Word of God. Our habit is to make our way through books of the Bible. God has preserved His Word for us. And there are 66 books in God's Word that He has given to us. And so our habit has been to study books of the Bible. And as we divide them into smaller sections, maybe chapters at a time, or maybe passages at a time, or maybe even just one or two verses at a time as we walk through books of the Bible. We've just recently concluded our walk through the book of Joshua. And so it's time for us to begin a new study. And the plan is for this new study to carry us up until Christmas and then next year, Lord willing, we will be, we'll dive into a, another longer series, another longer book of God's Word. As you can tell through the order of service as we've come to this point, this is going to be a series on Christian laments. I hope that that doesn't sound boring to you. I hope that that doesn't sound uh, negative to you. I hope that doesn't that doesn't cause you any kind of concern that we're going to be thinking about laments. I hope that you'll pause or hesitate just a little bit on drawing a conclusion so we get a little bit further down the road. Why lament? It's about to be Thanksgiving time. It's about to be Christmas time and New Year. Why would we consider the practice of lamenting? Isn't church supposed to be upbeat? Isn't the Christian life intended to celebrate God's wonderful grace, God's work to redeem us from our own destruction. Didn't the Apostle Paul even instruct the church to rejoice in the Lord always? Isn't the intent of the church to be triumphalistic? Consider 
some of the facts of the matter. There is remaining sin among each child of God. The earth is cursed with sin, and its consequences, sin's consequences, cause us much pain and grief and, and deep levels of hopelessness. Our life often leaves us with more unanswered questions than answered questions. One-third of the Psalms, one-third of the 150 Psalms are Psalms of Lament. There is an entire book of the Bible called Lamentations. Frankly, we lack understanding and we often flounder in our attempts to reconcile the goodness of God with the realities of this life's hardships. It's not easy to reconcile the goodness of God with the hardships that we experience in this life. Further, our stories in this life don't always end with, and they lived happily ever after. That's a reality of this life. There are, in fact, life-transforming events, circumstances in our lives that can affect the entirety or at least the majority of our journey on this earth. How do you process a son who in his 40s passes away and leaves behind two or three children? How are you supposed to process a marriage that began with a God-honoring ceremony and vows of commitment, but now, 30 years later, gives no evidence of honoring God or those vows? How do you process a mom who was fighting for her seven-year-old boy to be socially and surgically changed into a girl? How do you process a child that has heard the gospel all of their life, but now in their 20s has no evidence of believing faith? What do you do about a loved one that has been stricken with stage 4 cancer and suddenly has but a few months left to live on this earth? What do you do with, how do you process the thought of a nation that was formed in order to exercise liberty and justice for all, but continues to be riddled with racial prejudice? How do you process an, an unmarried individual who has followed God, longs for companionship, but has not yet been given the, the desires of their hearts? What about sex trafficking? Refugees who are, are abused? Abortion? What about our own life-dominating sins that seem to have, gra have grabbed us by the throats? How do we process these situations and many others? How do we reconcile the darkness of this life with the goodness of God's sovereignty. One means that God has given to his children. One gift that God has given to his children in order to help us process this darkness and to reconcile the darkness of this life and the goodness of God's sovereignty is the gift of lament. The front of today's bulletin is is a quote from Mark Vorup's book entitled Dark Clouds and Deep Mercy. It says this, Lament is how you live between the poles of a hard life and trusting in God's sovereignty. Lament is how we bring our sorrow to God. Lament is how Christians grieve. 
Lament is how to help hurting people. Lament is not only a gift, but also a neglected dimension of the Christian life for many 21st century Christians. I would assume that is true for us who have gathered here this morning. That this is a dimension that is often ignored in our own walk with God. Beloved, we can't look at someone who has lost a loved one and simply say, well, don't forget, God works all things together for good to those who love Him. It's truth, and in time it can be communicated, but God has graciously gifted us with the practice of lament to help us find hope in the darkness. Darkness is part of this life. This is why we will give the next six or seven Sundays to this subject. Would you please now turn in your copy of the Scriptures to the book of Psalms and find Psalm number 86. Psalm 86. If you're using the Pew Bible, it's page number 439. Next week we will begin our we will begin looking at the book of Lamentations. But this morning, I wanted us to begin our study on laments by understanding the foundations of Christian laments. And we'll do that by studying one of the Psalms of Lament, Psalm number 86. Psalm 86 isn't instructional by giving us the steps uh, of, of lament. It's instructional by providing an example of lament. In other words, you can go to a lot of Bible passages and find these same steps or these same, same essentials to Christian lament, ingredients for the process of lament. And we see it here specifically in Psalm 86. Would you please follow along as I read God's Word? Bow down thine ear, O Lord. Hear me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my soul, for I am holy. O thou my God, save thy servants that trust in thee. Be merciful unto me, O Lord, for I cry unto thee daily. Rejoice the soul of thy servant, for unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive and plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon thee. Give ear, O Lord, unto my prayer, and attend to the voice of my supplications. In the day of my trouble I will call upon thee, for thou wilt answer me. Among the gods there is none like unto thee, O Lord, neither are there any works like unto thy works. All nations whom thou hast made shall come and worship before thee, O Lord, and shall glorify thy, thy name. For thou art great, and doest wondrous things. Thou art God alone. Teach me thy way, O Lord. I will walk in thy truth. Unite my heart to fear thy name. I will praise thee, O Lord, my God, with all my heart, and I will glorify thy name forevermore. For great is thy mercy toward me, and thou hast delivered my soul from the lowest hell. O God, the proud are risen against me, and the assemblies of violent men have sought after my soul and have not set thee before them. But thou, O Lord, art a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering, plenteous in mercy and truth. O turn unto me and have mercy upon me. Give thy strength unto thy servants and save the son of thine handmaid. Show me a token for good 
that they which hate me may see it, may see that token, and be ashamed, because thou, O Lord, hast holpen me and comforted me. The reality of darkness, the reality of darkness in the life of the Christian calls for the practice of lament in the life of a Christian resulting in the hope of God and the life of a Christian. There are four foundational steps, four foundational elements of Christian lament that we find in Psalm 86 and we find in, 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 in Christian lament throughout the Scriptures. And they are action steps, things that we can do as children of God to walk through this process in order that we might have hope in God in this walk, in this journey of the Christian life. The first step that we see, the first action that we take is going to God. David begins by going to God. This is a psalm of David. He cries out, incline your ear to me, O Lord, or, or bow down thine ear to me. Verse 7 says, I call upon you. What does David do? David first goes to God. There is darkness, there's distress, there's trouble. He's going to talk about that later on. He'll, he'll, he'll voice that in a, in a little bit. But first, David's step is to go to God. And in doing so, David acknowledges that he is poor and needy. Did you see that in the first verse? The king of Israel poor? The king of Israel needy? Yes, indeed. He does not consider himself to be mighty. He doesn't consider himself to be self-sufficient, able to handle things on his own. It's actually the very opposite of that. David identifies himself as being poor and being needy. He asks God how he asks God to bow down his ear to hear his request. David's posture is that of humility, not of a sense of entitlement. It's not an insignificant matter that the God of the universe would bow down his ear, would incline his ear to hear the prayer of mortal man. Now, it may be simple enough for God to do that. It may not be a difficult task for God to bow down his ear, to incline his ear to one of his children. It may be simple for him to do that. But nonetheless, it is not an insignificant matter for him to do that. He, after all, is the God of the universe. And we are but dying men. He does. David goes to God even though he sees himself as poor and needy. Additionally, David labels himself in verse 2 as a servant of God. In other words, he's devoted to God. He's a slave to God. David, the poor and the needy, the servant, he goes to God. Sometimes being poor and needy might actually hinder us from going to God. Because being poor and needy is not a naturally favored position, is it? We are reluctant to ask for help. We are sometimes reluctant to cry out to God to bend his ear towards us. Have you ever known somebody that was slow to admit that they were poor and needy? You've probably traveled with them, and they were, they were, they were slow to stop and ask for directions when they were going up a back alley where their GPS sent them. They were slow. They were a little bit stubborn to admit they are poor and needy. Sometimes we'd rather plead our own rights to God instead of going to God and admitting that we are indeed poor and needy. Other times, we like to, to provide God with, with a list of our accomplishments versus acknowledging that we are simply poor and needy people. Christian, 
God doesn't need a list of your accomplishments. God isn't dependent upon us. Rather, we are dependent upon Him. Confessing your status of being poor and needy takes away your ability to claim that you deserve better than you're receiving. Going to God sounds like, and initially it sounds like an easy first step, doesn't it? But it's not always the case. Sure, we can be stubborn, but, the, but at the base of it, we are hurt. We're sorrowing. We're going through a difficult time in our life. And maybe the reality of the situation is that we don't even desire to go to God. We don't even desire to, to seek after Him. We don't even desire to ask Him to bend His ear toward mortal man. Friend, if it's you who is in need or a friend who is in need and is not willing to go to God initially, that doesn't prove that someone is unchristian. It proves that someone is human. Because sometimes we are so poor, sometimes we are so needy, we are despondent. We don't even want, desire to go to God. But crying out to God is better than silence. With all the accompanying mess of your hardship, going to God is still the first best step for you to take. Because God cares. God hears. Go to God. Don't stop talking to God about your pain. And just because you cry out to God doesn't mean you'll have the pain removed. Lament doesn't bring solutions as soon as you cry out to God. Lament isn't an easy equation that spits out an immediate solution. Rather, lament begins with going to God. So he will bend his ear to you. Christian, maybe you are helping another friend who is traversing some darkness. And you are praying for them that the Spirit of God would stir within them and they would respond by themselves going to God. Maybe helping that individual is to go to God with them. And so whether they want to go to God or not, you pray with them. You pull them aside and you pray with them and for them. By your example, you are encouraging, encouraging them in this first foundational step of lament, going to God. You see... The reality of darkness in a Christian's life calls for the practice of lament in the life of a Christian, resulting in the hope of God in the life of a Christian. First, go to God. Second, complain to God. Look at verse number 7. In the day of my trouble, I will call upon you, for you will answer me. Verse 14, O God, the, the proud are risen against me. The assemblies of violent men have sought after my soul and have not set thee before them. High-minded and domineering, arrogant people hate those good individuals. It was David's experience and has been played out for centuries since the life of David. Verse 17, he refers to the people that hate him. David desires for them to receive. He wants those people who hate him to receive a sign that God has helped him and comforted him. There are other passages that voice complaints to God much more strongly than what we have in Psalm 86. And as I mentioned, we'll begin to look into the book of Lamentations next week and we'll hear some of those strong complaints. So while Psalm 86 complaint section is not long, it's not absent either. It's here for us. There's a biblical way and an unbiblical way to complain to God. 
being sinfully angry about the difficulty, about the hardships, about the status that you have in life is not biblical. Being in denial about the hardships of your life is equally unbiblical. Ignoring the hurts, putting on a good face, it doesn't make you more spiritual. Denying that the problem exists doesn't make the problem go away or even help you feel any better. One author put it this way, Lament is how those who know, God, who know what God is, what is like, and believe in Him, it is how they address their pain. It's the language of a people who believe in God's sovereignty but live in a world of tragedy. That's all of us, isn't it? We believe God's sovereignty, but we live in a world with tragedy, including our own remaining sin. God is not telling you when you have these trials and these difficulties and these hardships, whether it's your own sin or whether it's a hurt or whether it's sorrow of whatever kind, God is not telling you, Christian, to sit down and shut up. He's not doing that in the least. God is not asking you to be silent. God is not approving of sinful anger at your life situation either. And neither is God approving of a behavior that says, I'll just buck up and handle this on my own. I can do this. I can act like nothing has ever happened. No sorrow exists in my life. No. In His grace, God is giving you space to voice your sorrow. God is giving you space to complain to Him. God bows His ear. He bends His ear to hear your heartache. Sometimes, bringing our complaints to God is seen in the questions that we ask God after we've gone to Him. Why is my spouse completely dishonoring their marriage vows? God, how could you possibly allow the atrocity of abortion to continue? God, why do you seem disinterested in the desires of my heart? Why does it feel like you are not present with me, God? How long do I have to wait for this to be resolved, O Lord? God, why are there wicked prevailing in our culture? God, why is disease hitting this family that is that's serving you? God, why do I continue to make the same sinful choice day after day, week after week, month after month, even year after year? Biblical complaining is part of the process that changes the way that we think. But it's only part of the process. Be thankful that God gives you this space for this action. But don't stop there. The gift of lament is not exclusively an opportunity just to vent on God. Lament is not a, a provision to wallow in our hardships of our life. Rather, it's part of a process that leads you out of the darkness. The same author that's, that's there on the front of your bulletin, he said it this way, in the same way a surgeon's cut is meant to heal, so complaint is designed to move us along in our lament. You're not meant to linger in complaint. Christian, talk honestly to God about the struggle that you're in. Be direct in your prayers. God knows your hearts. You don't have to adorn your prayers with a bunch of these and thous. You can be direct. God, I am tired of my life not changing. God, everyone around me is succeeding as a, as a Christian. I am not. God, the evildoers surround me. 
God, I want a spouse. I want a child. I want financial stability. You have not given me that desire. God, I'm praying for victory, but you seem far away. Complaining to God is part of the process of Christian lament. You see, the reality of darkness in the life of a Christian calls for the practice of lament in the life of the Christian, resulting in the hope of God in the life of a Christian. First, go to God. Second, complain to God. Third, ask of God. Verse number three tells us that David is persistent in his asking. He cries out to the Lord all the day long. He is asking God to do something for him. In fact, Psalm 86 actually has 15 petitions, 15 requests that David takes to God. Listen to these requests and understand that they all kind of center around David asking for the mercy of God in his life. David says, hear me, answer, guard, save, have mercy, bring joy, hear again, listen, teach me, give me an undivided heart, turn, have mercy, grant strength, save, give me a sign. All 15 of these requests are centered around the main request for God's mercy. David is asking for the mercy of God in his life. This takes us back to Israel's earlier days and the servants that God had given to them to lead them, the servants of the Lord Moses. All of Israel was aware of, of God's mercy and, and how it had been communicated to his servants, God's servant Moses. Here's a passage from Exodus 34. You'll remember it. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with, them th with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord... The Lord, a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. This is one of the greatest truths about our God. God is a merciful God. James Montgomery Boyce said it this way, nothing is more important to sinful men and women than finding mercy with God. Friend, the mercy of God is the only hope for any human being. We are each wicked sinners by birth and by choice. Our own personal sin demands, it even requires, it calls for our own eternal death. And that is so because our sin determines our guilt and our rebellion against God, the creator of the world. God will send judgment on every sinner. And the only way that that judgment will not happen is if God shows mercy and chooses to not give us what we are each deserving of. The only way that God will be able to, to not give us that eternal death and to show that mercy is if we are trusting in Jesus Christ's death that it happened in our place. In other words, believing in Christ as our substitute is the exclusive way to experience the mercy of God, the withholding of God's judgment on your sin. This morning, I extend an invitation to you. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ to experience the mercy of God, I encourage you, I invite you to do that today 
even now. If you have questions about what the gospel is, about what the mercy of God means for you, talk with me after the service. Let's meet later this week so that you can have a better understanding. Verse 5 says, For thou, O Lord, art good. You are ready to forgive. You are plenteous in mercy to all them that call upon you. Verse 15 reminds us, Lord, you are, you are full of compassion. You are a gracious God. You are long-suffering. You are plenteous in mercy and in truth. David makes his case with logic. He says, God, you are a merciful God. You've been merciful in the past. You've worked for me. You've helped me in the past. Now, we can't get to every phrase of the psalm this morning, but let's not miss what happens in verses 11, 12, and 13. Would you follow along? I'm going to reread that. Verse 11. Teach me thy way, O Lord. I will walk in thy truth. Here it is. Unite my heart to fear your name. I will praise you, O Lord my God, with all my heart, and I will glorify thy name forevermore. For great is thy mercy toward me, and thou hast delivered my soul from the lowest hell. David rehearses the mercy of God, and then based on that mercy... David requests God to give him a heart that is united to God. David is asking for an, for an undivided heart, a heart and a mind that is not divided between a variety of, of, of objects. He's asking for a heart that is devoted to the singular purpose of the glory of God's name. David is asking that, that he would fear God. He's asking for a maturity. He's asking for a wisdom in his walk with God. He's asking God that he would have a single, singleness of worship. David gives us a glimpse into his heart. And we see that David seems to understand his own default towards keeping God on the fringes of his life. So in the midst of hardship, David goes to God, David complains to God, and then David asks of God that he would have mercy so that he would have a united heart to God. Friend, are you attempting to keep God on the fringes of your life? In the midst of trials, we often find ourselves asking of God, but not ask, necessarily asking in this way for a united heart to God. We want the blessings sometimes without the responsibilities. We want the security that God can provide without much dedication on our end. That's not the case with David. In his lament, he's asking God for mercy, and he's asking God for a heart that is united to God. Those are his chief concerns. This is David's big ask. God, in your mercy, give me a heart united to the glory of your name. In his darkness, David asks for the heart of God. The reality of darkness in the life of a Christian calls for the practice of laments in the life of a Christian, resulting in the hope of God in the life of a Christian. First, go to God. Second, complain to God. Third, ask of God. Fourthly, trust in God. Lament is not complete by simply going to God. Lament is not complete with, with complaining to God and, and then leaving it there. Lament is not even complete by, by asking of God. Lament needs to have another element present in order for it to be true. And we see that in Psalm 86. 
It's trusting in God. In verse number 2, he actually declares his trust in God. In verse number 4, it shows us that David is trusting in God. And he's trusting in God alone. He's not trusting in God as one of his gods. He's trusting in God alone. Verse number 7 gives another evidence of that trust. He says, you will answer me. Verse number 10, you are great. You do wondrous things. You do marvelous works. So you will be able to accomplish my desires. You will be able to deliver me from the darkness of this life. David is struggling. David complains. David asks God for help. And David trusts in his God. God is able. Friend, God is powerful. God is all wise. God is truthful. God is supreme. God is God alone. God is generous. God is faithful. And because all of these and even more, God is trustworthy. God is worthy of your trust. You can trust David's God. You can trust the God who formed the world and gave to you life. You can trust the God who has no beginning and no ending. You can trust the God who never, ever changes. You can trust the God who knows your struggle. You can trust the God who knows every single detail of your life. You can trust the God who saw you in your greatest need and then sacrificed his one and only son in order to redeem you. You can trust the God who has promised to come again and to take you to a place that he has prepared for you, a place that has no more tears and no more suffering and no more sorrows and no more sin. And that is precisely why you can have hope in God in your continued life on this earth. Christian, you can trust in the Lord with all of your hearts. In the midst of your pain, trust God. When you don't understand the way forward, trust God. While you groan over the circumstances in your life, trust God. Christian, when you are attempting to help others through their own difficult times, remind them that God is indeed worthy of their trust. Brothers and sisters, when you are facing difficulty, you can remember that we know that the outcome is secure. We know that Christ will have the prize for which he died. But while still on this earth, until he comes again and calls us home, it might not be, it won't be, happily ever after. God knows that too. The reality of darkness in the life of a Christian, it calls for the practice of lament in the life of a Christian, resulting in the hope of God in the life of a Christian. Go to God. Complain to God. Ask of God. Trust in God. And may God grant us grace to lament for His glory in the life of a church at Harvest Bible. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Before I pray, maybe God has spoken to you this morning as a believer. His Spirit is teaching you bringing to mind fresh ideas from his word 
Maybe you learned something that you hadn't heard before this morning. Maybe you didn't hear anything new. You were just simply reminded of God's faithfulness, his mercy to you. Maybe you're going through a difficult situation that nobody else is aware of. And God is going to teach you to lament, to go to him, to voice your your sorrow, your complaints, to ask him to do a good work in you, to trust him to do it. If that's your situation, I'd simply like to anonymously pray for you as we close the service this morning. You say, Pastor John, I got this going on, and God is leading me through this time. Pray for me that I will, that I will biblically lament, that I will follow God's plan so that I will have hope in this life. I'd love to pray for you. I'm not going to embarrass you or call you out, but if that's your situation, you're a, a child of God, and you'd like for me to pray for you in, in kind of those terms, could you just put your hand up and write back down? I'll pray for you. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. Praise God. Thank you. Maybe you say, Pastor John, I'm not a believer. I don't, I don't know that I'm a child of God. I'm not sure that I've experienced this mercy that you talked about. I've heard about it. I've heard about Jesus. But I'm not sure that I truly am a child of God. Would you please pray for me at the close of the service? Anybody like that this morning? Put up your hand up. I'm not sure that I'm a child of God. I'd love to anonymously pray for you as well. Anybody? Father, we are thankful that you've given to us your word, that it's powerful, it's quick, it's sharp. God, we thank you that all of your word is not just some how-to book of where we all have triumphal victory over everything in our life. God, we thank you that you have given to us examples of, of people just like us who have walked in, in dark paths, who have been in deep waters, and I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ this morning who have raised their hands. God, thank you for speaking to them. Do continue to do a, a marvelous work for them. I pray that they would be reminded today of your mercy. I pray that today they would voice their complaint to you. God, I pray that today they would ask you to have a, a united heart with you, that they would be dependent upon you, that they would trust in you, not only for, for their salvation, but to, to give them hope in this life, that they would see that you are a good and a faithful God. God, lead them, guide them through this this darkness. We pray that for each of us as we experience these phases in this life. We trust you to do a good work, and we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.